You're listening to the Almira Radio Hour, a podcast that opens the door to culture, news, and stories behind the stories. We're your hosts, Sheila Lal and Nina Bhattacharya. Yeah, let's figure out like a different starting point for the episode. <laughs> um, oh, I'm trying biotin. <laughs> We're just diving into the supplements like for hair nails like hair for hair you just like did you experience stress hair loss yeah from grad school it wasn't hair loss as much as like my hair didn't feel like mine I think I don't think it was grad school I think it was being in Michigan without humidity yeah that would do it yeah so I was like you know what I have a couple months like let's see what happens and I have actually started to see my hair grow. Yes, that's awesome. So you're back in Missouri now because you're Sheila Lal MBA. What was that like? <laughs> yes, Nina Bhattacharya, MPH. <laughs> uh, uh, MS, excuse me. I'm a master of oh. science, supposedly. <laughs> I haven't taken a science. Allegedly. Allegedly. This is true. Oh, I didn't realize you were an MS. No. I thought you were an MPH. Mm-hmm. It's tricky. Harvard is well, backwards. Yeah, how does it feel? I honestly don't know. It's just like, oh, I spent two years doing school, and now I don't have to do school again for a while, unless, like, unless I elect to do another degree. Uh, yeah, so it's like, okay, I have this degree, and I've like uh, accumulated all this new information, but it won't be stuck in my brain unless I reinforce it. Mm-hmm. Do yeah. you think, because you'll be starting work in August, that you know, you'll have the opportunity to apply some of the things that you've learned potentially. Yeah, I assume so. I assume like any course or like any course of study allows you to kind of lose things that aren't really applicable and reinforce what you've learned. And I did a good job of really providing a breadth of study in my coursework as opposed to focusing in on what I assume would be important. So I'm looking forward to that new information reinforcing itself wow that was actually kind of a really basic question like do you think you're going to use any knowledge from the last two years in your next job? I actually don't think so no because like <laughs> I have an entire ass degree that I never use and that I just have completely forgotten about so that's a real question oh that's true oh I have an entire stats degree I forget that, that. I never use yeah you... I forget that wow how were the graduation festivities aggressively attempted nostalgia like they really wanted us to feel some sort of way and I was you can't force that sentimentality um so we had 10 days of what they called disorientation you come into the MBA with orientation and then they plan a disorientation and it's just an excuse to uh, to drink a, a lot which what I heard what I heard from other people who were doing a lot of those drinking activities they were tired they didn't want to continue drinking and I was like well that's that a conversation that should happen, you know? Like... Yeah. But it was like a lot of um, activities that were planned for 300, 400 people. 
And while I appreciated the amount of work that went into it, I found that there wasn't a lot of intention for some of the activities. Um, so you just hung out with people you already knew, as opposed to trying to like have a deeper conversation with somebody you may not know mm-hmm. very well. Mm-hmm. And creating the jumping off point for a further conversation later on. Um, so that it was just a lot of that. And then graduation itself, there were like two different uh, parents receptions, which was weird because like it's not like high school where your family kind of knows the families of other people you hang out with. So you're trying to like jump into a conversation with people you're close to from your family life and people you're close to from your school life, but they have no idea who the right. other person is. So it's like small talk on steroids. It was emotionally draining. It's a lot. It takes a lot out yeah. of you. Graduation is very hectic. It, you're coming right off of finals and finals are like yeah. not exactly the most joyful time and you're also figuring out what happens right after graduation and like how fast you have to move out off of campus or whatever and all of those details but you're done you survived that's awesome you survived two I did two years of grad school and you have a job lined up and you're going to be traveling all June which is rad yeah I'm very excited episode we could talk a little bit about dealing with hard shit and community they are some hard shit this week speaking of businesses yeah so some helpful tips for anybody who has launched their own uh, entity whether that's a for-profit or non-for-profit one if you're working with an outside marketing agency the way to test if you have a good, if you put your money into something worthwhile is if they have a designer on staff who is working with you. Uh, I noticed that one of my ads straight up had a a typo that was very important. Oh my God. That's not what I thought you were going to bring up when I asked you that question. No, but that was, oh, that's the first part. The second part is what you already know about. Uh, yeah, I found that out this weekend and I was like, cool. I'm so glad I spent over $300 on an ad that had a typo. Uh, so that's one. Second is if someone's if someone's giving you a sketchy vibe, they're probably sketchy. Okay, so tell it me takes more. Some time to find someone you vibe with. Uh, so uh, some of you may have seen because Nina was so gracious to start a GoFundMe. My kitchen landlord was a really petty and really shitty and uh, lied about his reason for throwing over five hundred dollars worth of stuff out into a dumpster. And threatening me with a restraining order. He, yeah, he claimed that he tried to get in touch with you, but there's zero, like, he didn't even recognize who you were when you actually reached out to no. him. Yeah. He allegedly received an increase in his rent when I was under the assumption that he owned the place. 
because that's like how the subleasing agreement's supposed to work. So we already have this potential lie. He says there's a fee increase. So he asked me to pay him $150 more a month. And I was like, fine, I'm not going to argue with you right now because I'm in the middle of school. Uh, So I send a check. It gets there. He cashes it because I have proof that he's cashed it. And he decides to change the locks, lie about how he's reached out to me and try to figure out what's going on, and then threw out all my stuff. Um, And when I looked through my AT&T logs, because all mobile providers have a log of who you've texted, who's texted you, calls in and out, I cannot find his number in anything. Yeah, that's so bonkers. And for people who are not aware of Sheila's business. She runs a company called Drunk Shrub and they make really delicious, they see inspired um, non-alcoholic beverages. Um, It's just a really fabulous small business. And so $500 sets, is kind of really challenging. When I got your text message about it, I like, I couldn't even process it. It just sounds like something that's so far from reality that would happen to someone that your bottles and herbs and spices would just kitchen supplies would just be like pitched like that. And it's not like, yes, it's the value of what was there, but I think about how much time went into sourcing all that material and figuring out like, where I can find like mass amounts of pomegranate seeds. And like, he just like took that, like this agency was just stolen. Mm -hmm. And that's where, like, when you ask like, how much do you need? I like, I couldn't even, I was like, I, I'm ballparked it at around 500, but it wasn't even that it was, wasn't even the cost of the materials. It was the cost of my own like sense of self and sense of agency. Yeah. You've invested, you invested so much into this. Just yeah, and like an intangible, right, 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 amount. and like because there's so many little details in running a food business in particular or beverage yeah. business in particular. That I mean, we've talked about it before on Elmira Radio, but when you were in the more exploratory stages and like going through the health department and like figuring mm-hmm. out what were the things you needed to do to like get it certified in the right way, and yeah. Is shrub considered a shelf stable product or like, yeah, you know, figuring out those sort yeah. of nuances. So, yeah, it's messed up and it's super chill that everyone contributed. Yeah. We, we we had set the goal for five hundred dollars, but we raised more than double the amount, which is incredible. And I'll be transparent here. That money is going to go towards new labels, new bottles, but then also investing in a co-packer. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, I learned about it th- this last summer, a co-packer is a at scale business that can make your sauces, salsas, jams, shrubs in a bigger quantity and they can do it at a cheaper price. Cool. Um, so the idea is to work with a co-packer to create my shrubs and then I can do the last, like the last mile of it and bottle it. Um, and that way, like everybody knows the money's going towards sustaining the business mm-hmm. in a way that is best for everybody. And I want to make sure that I can keep my product on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. We want it to be on the internet too. <laughs> you have a lot of fans. I mean, just even looking at some of the comments that people left with their donations, it was 
obviously there's a lot of people who who are familiar with drunk shrub and who adore you as a human and things like that but there's also a, there were a handful of people who are just like hey i'm like into this idea uh of having like more non-alcoholic beverage options so i'm like chipping in to like support oh, this wow. business I'd... yeah there was one or two comments like that which is pretty rad oh that's amazing yeah so it's just yeah working with people who give you sketchy vibes is not actually worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it was a time crunch issue, not right. a, I trust this person. And then he mess he fucked me over issue. I, I don't know. I was just thinking a lot about community just when I saw the response and how like your friends yeah. and family like really jumped in. Yeah. There. It was beautiful to see like a healthy South Asian response something that I'm still like grappling with is like the South Asian community outside of the internet Mm -hmm. and to see like the really wholesome response from our friends from the internet and people I've never met in real life, but who I've curated relationships with for a long time, they were incredibly supportive both financially and uh, signal boosting wise. But then I compare that to the toxicity that Mm. can blossom in South Asian communities in real life. I'm curious how, how do we find ways to break that cycle? I think you hit the million dollar question right there. I I don't really know. I mean, I hope it's from like modeling the types of small modeling these types of relationships. So like mm-hmm. if there's a a few people I really jive with through those hopefully by modeling what I want a liberatory supportive relationship to look like, other people will be like, "Oh, yeah. this is cool and something I would like to invest into. I mean, I literally have, I have no idea. That's such a huge question. And, but the, the, the thing with virtual friendships, friendships curated on the internet is that a lot of it starts with words and then mm-hmm. slowly you see how people back those words with actions. And it, that's really beautiful well, yeah. to me. And someone was asking me, oh, like, what happened to your friend? I was explaining the situation to them. And yeah. I was like, well, the thing I appreciate about Sheila is that she's someone whose actions match her words. Like, she just doesn't say a thing. She also does the thing. And I think this is the response you received is sort of a testament to that aspect of your personality, which, like, works really hard and has advocated for like so many folks in Missouri and caused a ruckus in B school. My favorite type of (laughs) favorite type of ruckus. (laughs) No, but just like the general fact that people know you're someone when you're like, I'm doing this thing and I'm going to do it right. Like people know you are right. So when you're saying I'm being transparent about how I'm going to use the funds, I have full faith that that's exactly how you're going to use the funds because you're someone whose words match your actions match your words. So, yeah. Um, well, so this like question of like, how do you break toxicity came from, um, meeting a woman who's about a gen, she's like a half a generation older than me. And she lives in Canton, which is, um, a town between Ann Arbor and Detroit. Uh, and we met at a political boot camp. She's very active in the pol- like democratic political scene in Canton. Mm-hmm. And, when we were asked, how do you reach out to your community? We looked at each other and I was like, well, I know my like Indian community is not actually supportive financially or like emotionally for political run, like campaigns. 
And she looked at me and said, I thought it was just me. Oh, no. Yeah. Like, can't the community there also isn't particularly supportive. And that's when I realized that it wasn't a one-off situation. There has to be something more ingrained in how we socialize with each other to not be um, vocally, positively supportive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I wonder if part of it has to do with the geography question, which is something that we've mm. talked about in the past, is that groups of South Asians kind of bundle together in yeah. weird ways based on their immigration mm-hmm. trajectory and narrative. Just the fact I always felt like I never fit in either growing up. Yeah. And so the people I've gravitated towards on the Internet are like also people who identify with I was a misfit, too. Right. Yeah. And so it's more like the network is more disparate and spread out, but it's in some ways tighter because there is an actual shared experience rather mm-hmm. than just like, oh, they're my neighbor and that's the auntie uncle who yeah. comes over for dinner kind of thing. It's yeah. like, oh, actually, like this thing you went through growing up is something that resonates with this other thing I went through while growing up. And yeah. I see you. I see you, other misfit South Asian person. There's something deeper there than just kind of obligation. Yeah. And then my quite like this idea of a liberated community, like why is it that we don't like it feels like collectively, not just you and me, but we mm. don't question why our communities are so uh I guess imposing and have this idea of what we should be like, which creates the idea of misfit. Mm-hmm. Do you think that is as pervasive as it used to be or do you think that's fracturing a bit now and that's what I've like I thought it was I assumed it was fracturing I was like oh like as our generation grows up and has kids and like creates our own community things are different and then I realized that a lot of the I guess it hasn't changed Mm -hmm. that much because how many folks are challenging their own notions of what is um of what is tradition or what is culture what is community And so Canton is a third Indian, Mm -hmm. like just straight up. And with a community that big, you would hope that there would be um, more visible community organizations or uh, ways to socialize. And it's all still done through the temple, Mm -hmm. which to me is very alienating and not uh, welcoming to those who could have different points of view, but be from the same ethnic community. Mm -hmm. And it's something I've been thinking about as I moved to Metro Detroit how do I meet people who I can like do like very specifically Indian or South Asian things with and how do I like find them? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's one of those like, yeah, says so I'm, a, I'm moving to a new place. And so I want that community, but how does anybody find that? Like Boston is incredibly lucky that it has something like subdrift and it has a very young population, but let's say you, move to Houston, which has a massive Indian or South Asian community, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, etc. How do you find those people? Well, I wonder, I think for the average person, it would be very, very challenging. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, for like you and me who are plugged into like an internet community, that's also when that translates into real life. Yeah, I mean, very recently, I mean, we've both done this. We were like, hey, I'm passing through the city. Is there anyone around who wants to meet up? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're going to be doing that when you're traveling, too. Like, so yeah. I think that's probably 
one sort of step. And I think that's how I've seen it unfold in Boston, even outside of mm. Subdrift. Yeah, Subdrift is really good. And it is like a physical moment in time event space where people can come together. But like mm-hmm. how some of the newest people to the city have found us is through like found me in particular is like mm-hmm. because we connected on Instagram or we oh. connected on Facebook and they said, hey, I'm moving to Cambridge and Boston. You want to meet up sometime? Or like a friend of a friend is like, oh, you helped plan the film screening in Boston and you helped. We met at the film screening in Chicago you two should meet when you move from Chicago to Boston. So that's the sort of thing is these virtual relationships manifesting in real life, either from Facebook Mm -hmm. or from Instagram or Twitter. Even I think, I think that's a first step in like connecting people who are more similarly minded or, or more open to thinking more expansively about community. And it just feels like, um, having to constantly do the one-off feels like it's a, a lot of labor and it's labor intensive as opposed to having like even a website or like a resource that's available. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about Tricone and which is in Chicago and Seattle and I think in DC, um, but it's a LGBTQ Desi resource group. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there's a website makes it super easy for people who might need it moving to a new place even if it's not um, visibly really active on the internet, it's mm-hmm. like they have their own stuff going on. And I think that having, I don't know, like some sort of cool directory for lack of a better idea. It's just like, it's helpful. Like I'm it's yeah. As somebody who's moving to a new place with like maybe 50, new, 50 people I know who are living there right. from across different parts of my life. It's just like, how do you think about intentional relationship building? What you're talking about is how do we have a more elevated, you know, 2019 version of like Lokvani or Suleika.com or, you know, which are actually sites where people post directories of dance teachers and music teachers and stuff like that. Yeah. um, Or events and things of that nature. But you want something that's I don't know, speaks more to our generation is what I'm feeling. I wanted to share this article. It's not a very long article, so I'm just going to read it to you. So we were talking about community. I was also thinking about community and friendship. And I read this post that someone where someone was summarizing the eight most common friend types from a book called Vital Friends, the people you can't afford to live without. Definitely like some cheesy self-development book, business book probably (laughs) but the eight types of friends are I want you I'm going to read them to you and then maybe we can figure out what we are okay okay so the first is the builder 
Builders are friends who motivate you, invest in your development, and truly want you to succeed. These friends help you see your strengths and advise you on how to best use them. Two is the champion. Champions stand up for you and your beliefs and they sing your praises. They're the friends who have your back and will advocate for you even when you're not around. The third is the collaborator. And that is collaborators are friends with similar interests, the basis of many great friendships. Shared interests are what often make collaborators lifelong friends and those with whom you are most likely to spend a lot of time. The companion. Companions are always there for you, whatever the circumstances. When something big happens in your life, good or bad, these are the people you call first. The connector. These friends get to know you, then instantly work to connect you with others who will share your interests or goals. They extend your network and give you access to new resources. The energizer. Energizers are your fun friends who boost your spirits and create more positive moments in your life. They pick you up when you're down, can turn a good day into a great day. The mind opener. Mind openers expand your horizons and introduce you to new ideas, opportunities, cultures, and people. They challenge you to think in innovative ways and allow you to express opinions that you might be uncomfortable articulating to others. And the navigator. Navigators are friends who give you advice and keep you headed in the right direction. You seek them out when you need guidance and counsel, and they're great at talking through your options. So those are like eight types, and obviously people fit more than one. When reading yeah. it out loud, is there, or were there any that you identified with? Or maybe well, we should maybe we should describe the other person, rather than me saying yeah. like, "Oh, Sheila, what do you think you are?" Maybe you should say what you think I am. I think like in our really because everybody is uh, some combination of the eight depending on their mm-hmm. relationship with somebody else. And in my experience with you and our relationship, I feel like the first four are the biggest ones. Like they are the most visible Mm -hmm. and that's how I see you as like the motivator, the one who does the developing uh, collaborator. And then what was the fourth one? It was like the builder, the champion, the collaborator, and then the companion, the person who's there. So the, yeah, the, all those four, those four. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I see our relationship through the first four more so. I would say that, like, in general, I think of you as a connect as a person. I think of you as a connector because yeah. the number of emails that I've gotten, like, like <laughs> Nina, meet X person, are very numerous. So I know you're very like, I know that's an aspect of your personality You and, and that you like but doing that. Yeah. You like suggesting yeah. things that people should read, that they should watch, they should people they should connect to. But it's not like the highlight of our relationship. Oh, no. For us, I would. I think yeah. it's the first four. Yeah. But like people I know, sort of from business school, for instance, I would be more of a connector mm-hmm. and a mind opener mm-hmm. than I would any of the other. Yeah, stuff. Like, I know you would go out on a limb for me. You have gone out on a limb. Yeah, limbs. Yeah, for me, and you've like literally have been the first person I've called in situations. Or I'll be like, yes, call me when you feel ready. <laughs> which is also... <laughs> I will be awake. <laughs> which is also an appropriate response and an immeasurably helpful one. Oh, man. I feel like... I, I feel like I feel like April and May is always really hard. I, I'm going to blame it on the weather constantly being in flux. Yeah. The weather isn't always great. I'm going to put my vote out there that like April is like the worst month of the year. <laughs> it's just a hypothesis. I think it's because when people's like hopes get too high because <laughs> the sun's come <laughs> out 
then they start acting wild and acting in ways that they shouldn't oh, be drag me i mean i've been acting in ways i should be acting anyway (laughs) but just like the sun sun comes out and you have too much hope yeah most relatable most (laughs) relatable i'm like like i can't believe that i'm moving back to michigan the weather is horrific uh, <laughs> but I realized that it's like this weird Stockholm syndrome where the sun comes out and you completely forget that the last six months were trying to eat at your soul yep, yep. same thing here like everyone was yeah. walking around like winter had never happened that four months ago the sun wasn't setting at four you know yeah people I, I like I was sitting there amazed I was like wow the sun set at 7 <laughs> it's like this is incredible i'm like i bet no one else except for me is sitting here appreciating this because everyone got brainwashed by the sun (laughs) wouldn't that be what wouldn't that be an interesting movie or like a tv or like a science or a fantasy short story yes every time the sun comes out people forget the like last six months all the and they're yeah the atrocities imposed by the weather so they're only their truest selves at nighttime <laughs> wow this got very dark very quickly <laughs> well i think we're just loopy because we've actually spent a lot of time talking to each other today which has been really nice i like yeah. it i liked it a lot it's like it's fascinating what happens when your virtual friendship starts to creep into like more analog or semi-analog and you're like i don't know what to do with this this is not the conditions we agreed upon um well oh so i wanted to talk about some things that are going on in Mm. michigan around community building um so as i talked about in a couple podcast episodes ago uh we started a group called rising voices for asian american families and it is an organization, like we're official, we have an EIN, we have, I think we have a bank cool. account, so it's very exciting, and I'm slowly but surely working on the website, but it is a group intended to provide uh, political empowerment resources to Asian American families throughout the state. Mm-hmm. And this can look like a myriad of ways, whether it's census uh, work, whether it's art and expression building, whether it's like just knowing what's going on in the state house or how to figure out what's going on in your own local community. But it is truly like revolutionary for community organizing groups because we are asking people in different communities to act as a conduit Mm. and to like help build relationships through people who already live in those cities. So it doesn't have to be us going in and reinventing the wheel, but bringing different types of Asian American communities together. Um, we had our launch actually on graduation. So I went from Ann Arbor to Canton wow. to like say hi to people. Um, but we, a woman who works for uh, the Asian, like an Asian American labor organization was super excited about our proposition to have listening sessions mm-hmm. and actually listen to what people are talking about um, as opposed to doing top down management. That's so common in nonprofit or political advocacy organizations. Um, and it's really neat because our board is incredibly diverse. Mm -hmm. I am one of two Indian Americans on a board of like 10. Mm -hmm. We have a fourth generation Japanese American. We have a 
Chinese American who is a state senator. Uh, we have like a handful of Bangladeshis, and it's like neat to see that diversity being so natural. Yeah, I mean, I know last time we talked, I was ranting a little bit about the conference that said it was about Asian mental health, but it didn't represent any South Asians. It is refreshing to hear that your board is actually as diverse as it is. So for someone who isn't familiar, what is a listening session? How, how does that actually work? And like, what's the vision behind that? So the like academic thought behind it is more around design thinking mm-hmm. and coming into a situation without any preconceived notions. So you've done a bit of research you ask open-ended questions and you allow people to talk. So some of those questions could be like, how do you engage with people, the community of your same ethnicity? How do you engage with Asian American communities? Um, How do you receive your political information? How do you act on it? Stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Um, But the idea is to hold space, like physical space in someone's home or in a uh, neutral area, whether that's like a labor Mm -hmm. hall or a, uh, an Asian American church or something um, and asking people that we know in the community to invite other people that they know Mm -hmm. um, and have like 10 families or 20 families, but keep it relatively accessible and ask people those questions and then have them write down their own answers. So we have a record, but it's not affiliated with a name Mm, and we can derive themes and understand how can we do our best work using these themes as opposed to just assuming. Mm-hmm. And then you create buy-in and you create more engagement by having those types yeah, of Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Both design thinking also just a really important way for creating community-centered programming. That's incredible. That is really exciting. And I'm looking forward to hear how that unfolds throughout the summer. And if people want to learn more about it, how should they? Um, we have a Facebook page. Rising, voice, rising Voices for Asian American Families. Cool. And there will be a website hopefully soon. Awesome. So Facebook page. That's like a perfect perfect way for people to get in touch. And so we'll put that in the show notes so people can like stay on top of what's unfolding in Michigan, even if you're not actually in Michigan. I think it's just really good. Like, yeah. just We were talking about the Georgia heartbeat bill earlier and how exhausting it is to care about state and local stuff when people don't get engaged until it's too late. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah. like one of my favorite yeah. online news sources is High Country News, which is a Montana-based oh. publication that I found out from journalist Anne Helen Peterson, who lives in Montana these days. Yeah, and it just exposes me to such a wide variety of like really hyper-local, but hyper- hyper-local news that's really indicative of like the national message in place, if that makes sense. Mm, And so I think that's another reason why people should follow organizations like Rising Voices and the type of work that they're doing is that even if they're not from Michigan, um, just being tuned into like these kind of hyper local moments allow you to just have a better sense of, you know, the national story in a way that is more nuanced and not reductive because I felt like so many of the post 2016 election analysis is just so reductive and flattening of the places that we are from. So Um, I was listening to an interview with a journalist who wrote a book on um, 
like for Appalachia essentially. Um, and she wrote it from a textured complex like perspective, but she brought this point up that the flattening that was happening to these people she was like meeting and engaging Mm. with led to like multiple reactions. One was people just kind of fucking with journalists because they knew they'd be there for a day and then leave as opposed to actually getting to know who they were. Um, second was a lot of anger and exhaustion to be like so stereotyped. And third was this complete erasure of the reasons why different people believe different things. Mm -hmm. Like one guy who is a pig farmer talked about how it continued to cost him more and more money to stay on top of regulations. Um, Like it would cost him a hundred dollars like every day to give his pig shots. He's like, why is my pig being more regulated than I am? And like pointing out that logical fallacy was like eye opening for me to think like, okay, why is policy so, so short sighted? Mm hmm. And why isn't it bringing into account like how the people impacted will actually experience mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. Um, and your point of like the fact that you read a Montana news source is something most people should be doing. Like read a news source from a place you're not from. Yeah. Yeah. It just because I was like, oh, I'm definitely only getting one kind of picture from the places I'm listening to and reading. And it's fine in some ways to listen and read things that I know I will like I already know something a little bit about but it's also really nice to learn about things I know zero things about which is really cool um oh one thing I wanted to talk about before we wrap up is that so in terms of community building here in Boston one thing I'm really excited about is the South Asian sex ed salon that I'm co-facilitating on Saturday uh, we, I have the pleasure of collaborating with Sukhati Dabral, who's like a sexuality educator based and yoga instructor based here in Boston. Sukriti is a delightful human, just very compassionate, an excellent facilitator, very good with working with, with people wherever they're at, um, and also deeply inclusive. And that was the main, mm-hmm. main point of connection uh, we had is... We, we, we just, every time we met, we kept talking about it would be really lovely to have an opportunity or space to, like, bring South Asian adults together to talk about um, sex, gender, sexuality mm-hmm. um, in a less fraught way. And yeah. uh, Saturday's discussion, I'm hosting it at my place to keep it really, like, intimate and cozy will be really focused more on the sexuality relationships side of things and how that intersects with South Asianness and sort of the narratives we grew up with in our families. Um, but hopefully future sessions that we have will like, you know, do an actual sex ed lesson. And yeah. it's delightful because we have people from all sorts of, it's a very gender inclusive participant group, um, which makes me feel very honored in a lot of ways to I don't know just to really have the opportunity to have the type of conversations I always wish I had about sexuality because it is taboo in so many families 
I grew up in an abstinence-only school district. Um, I didn't really, really identify as queer until after the Pulse massacre. So I just keep thinking a lot about some of the gaps in my own knowledge and sort of the um, misunderstandings and things I'm like too shy to ask ask about. And I think that a lot of other people also have that too, especially since so many more people relate to they, them pronouns versus mm-hmm. like the pronouns that were given, assigned to them at birth. So I'm just like very excited I don't know just to see what happens it's going to be lightly facilitated there will be a little bit of lecturing a little bit of artsy reflecting activities at the end of course on brand brand. and obviously (laughs) Sukriti as the actual sexuality educator will be leading things from a content perspective side but it's just very I don't know I'm so excited I'm so excited we have 19 people signed up which is like, so which is bad. like at capacity for my apartment. <laughs> it's <laughs> so we might be a little bit cozy, but we will have snacks and it will be great for the future. Hopefully future workshops y'all plan to have. Is there any way to like donate money to keep people well fed and, and watered? <laughs> yes. So we accept. Well, by we, I mean, I accept donations at my Venmo, which is at Nina Bhattacharya. And to be transparent, as we have ad- been advocating for on Elmira Radio, um, I s- split those funds with Sukriti because we're co-facilitators. And that's after some of the funds go towards um, like snacks and just uh, material supplies and obviously sort of the labor involved in facilitation. We do do a, for like a sliding scale kind of donation from folks and it's meet people where they're at and also like kind of like with subdrift if funds aren't like a thing for you right now that's cool too no one's gonna no one's going to be turned away um yeah it was really wild though Sheila that someone did donate even though they couldn't attend they're like we wanted to sponsor two spots so here's 20 20 dollars you know like we're like we are so supportive of supportive of the work that you're doing. It was, I was mind blown. So I'm very excited to see how <coughs> this can continue to develop and make more community that is more diverse and more inclusive and just generally joyful. <laughs> well, I'm grateful for the work that you and Sokrathy are doing to innovate and create inclusive radical spaces. Uh, so that way people can feel safer. Yeah, dude. And with that, we're going to let everybody go. (laughs) We're going to let everybody go. We're going to go to bed. Yeah. 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 My mom's making shakshuka for me tomorrow morning. So I, yeah. So I can't stay up all night because then I won't wake up in time for it. (laughs) The perks of being home. (laughs) What a dream. What a dream. Okay. Love you, Sheila. Love you too. Bye. If you like what you hear, don't hesitate to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It allows other people to find our show. You can find Almira Radio online at almiraradiohour.com 
as well as on Twitter and Facebook at Almira Radio. You can find Sheila on Twitter at Queen of Blah, and you can find Nina on Twitter at Only Nina. Until next time. <laughs>